The number one Star Trek review podcast, according to absolutely no polls or ratings. Uh, this is your host, not Bob, not Sucky, but your very own Andrea. Um, I'm joined by Lindsay. Hello. I'm joined by Sucky. Hello. And John. Traditionally, you say last but not least, but okay. Hi. <laughs> I didn't say last but not least. I know. <laughs> So this week we're going to be taking a look at the Deep Space Nine episode Honour Amongst Thieves, which is from season six. So let's have a quick trailer. Undercover. These are dangerous men. If they find out who you are, they'll kill you. Under suspicion. They say you can tell a traitor by looking in his eyes. Under the gun. We get this mission over with a gun. In the shadows of a criminal syndicate. I'm gonna take care. I don't forget my friends. O'Brien befriends the man he must ultimately betray. I gotta kill him, aren't they? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right, so what I thought I'd do this week to kick things off is something we haven't done for a little while, which is a bit of Star Trek news, because I think there is indeed some Star Trek news this week and quite recently. Has anybody got any scraps of news they would like? Well, the big one is uh, Discovery's back on November 18th in America on Paramount+. Plus. So it should be on Netflix over here, quite soon, uh, probably the day after. Does anyone else think that seems to have kind of sprung out of nowhere? Like, where was it? It's just like, and then it like it feels like it's like two days away. <laughs> like, there's been no mention, and then it's like, oh. Yeah, it feels like they weren't sure that they were going to be able to do it, and then they managed to do it, so it's now launching, because there are various other things. Like, I think if it was going sequentially, we would get Picard again before we got Discovery. But I don't know if it's got to do with the fact that they recorded... Did they not film some of season four when they were doing season three? I think they went straight, from what I read, I think they went straight into season four from season three. So there wasn't much of a, a break in between. Are they not filming Picard two and three back to back as well? Though? Have I just made that up? No, I think you might be right. I think particularly in uncertain times, it might be easier to get everyone together for, you know, slightly longer and just kind of bash through some more stuff at any one time um so that is really exciting um obviously there is other uh, non-star trek sci-fi exciting news that has also dropped with not a lot of lead time i'm sure our doctor who fans will uh, be excitedly looking forward to the 31st of october ish sort yes. of maybe who knows <laughs> Well, if, if we're going to tip a nod, I think since the last time we convened, um, a new showrunner has been announced as well, which um, I found quite exciting and made me very happy. Um, obviously, Russell, Russell T. Davies is, is coming back um, to do some more Who. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited and I hope it's exciting because I really did love Azira and obviously his passion for these things is, is really clear and really strong. I, I'm just always slightly concerned when we take a step backwards. Uh, but fingers crossed it'll be excellent um and uh prodigy is coming just not to yeah. the uk <laughs> but that's okay because i might have to you know hop on a jet plane and just yeah. like you know why travel. Why, uh, why, why do you say it's not coming to the uk i thought he was 
that was going to be the good of home over here. My understanding is that Prodigy is not arriving in Europe until Paramount Plus launches in 2022. Ah, right. Got you. Got um, you. Because obviously, or if it does, it'll go to Nickelodeon and I don't own access to Nickelodeon for reasons. Um, so, yeah, but it's all really exciting. I think particularly given that we thought that there was going to be so little happening in this kind of TV um, season, shall we say. Uh, you know what I mean? The, well, the periods of time. Autumn usually is the time when all these shows suddenly suddenly come back, so it's yeah, going to be loads of stuff. Yeah, but we had all this COVID nonsense, so we thought that there was going to be a delay. People kept telling us there was going to be no new TV. Yeah, but Cal- we've had Calvin now for about a year and a half, nearly. Right, so uh, a lot of things have been put into place to be able to make sure the production's back up and back up and running again. So yeah. I don't think it's going to be that much of a delay now. I think that it's just going to be uh, crack on as normal as long as everybody's quite safe. Uh, the 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 Russell T Davies news, it, I I don't think it's a backward step. I think it's just somebody who's been given a safe pair of hands to be able to get us through the 60th, and then he'll probably oversee, oversee whatever's going to happen after the 60th. Maybe just usher in a new showrunner. Him and uh, Bad Wolf Productions will just stay over. Uh, overseeing everything. I'm not massively versed in like the differences between Moffat and Russell T. Davis and all that stuff, but as I recall, Russell T. Davis's episodes were cheesy as fuck, so I'm really not sure why everybody's so happy to have him back. Well, I think he resurrected Doctor Who, so I think he gets automatic credits. But the the cheesy is uh, cheesy uh, whatever fudge, right? Episodes, as you said, they were quite popular. Right, and they sort of appeal to the to the public more than the pure hard sci-fi. So it might be that's why they might be going for whatever Russell T Davies is going to be offering in the next uh, season fourteen onwards. Yeah, I think it will be interesting. Like, I think I'm just I'm keen for us to go into it with an open mind. I'm also I think I have disliked Chibnall less than a lot of people. Um, so uh yes we shall see that's not hard to dislike i know and i feel bad for him i do because i think we had a new showrunner and a challenge in the the casting of the doctor and yeah it hasn't it hasn't survived the fan storm for reasons um and i think some of the criticism is totally justifiable however this is a star trek podcast yeah we are getting that rabbit hole i am allowing (laughs) this to get sidetracked um in a bit of personal news, which um, I know at least one of you is aware um, of, of what, I've, um, what I'm about to announce, um, but I've not shared it widely. Um, some of you may have been aware of the um, Discovery Prop auction that was going on. Um, and I am the, now the owner of several items of um, actual Discovery screen-used things um which are hopefully going to be arriving at my house in the next couple of days um and i'm quite looking forward to opening those boxes um and i'm happy to be red shirted for it because I'm, I'm over the moon with these items <laughs> what exactly have you bid on and what have you got so i am now the owner of um, mirror locker's armor and jacket i am the owner of tilly's uniform which i'm hoping is going to fit me quite nicely um, and I am the owner of some screen news triples. <laughs> Lovely. I've you do realise your well, house is actually just going to become full of triples because that's how this works. 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> but like, send you one, and like in a week, you'll send a message when you've been like pushed out like the attic window by like an increasing mound of troubles, being like, no. Well, I'm really hoping some of these items are going to get an outing because obviously Destination Star Trek London in November is going ahead, um, and I will be there representing um, representing Trek this out um, like an undercover field agent, much like Miles O'Brien in this week's episode, which we should probably make some effort to speak about if no one's got any other news. <laughs> nope. Right. So as we always do, let's go around to get our first reactions to the episode. Um, John, since I've neglected you in the introduction, um, let's come to you first. Uh, okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you, generic female. Um, it's very, very like a bad rip-off of a mafia show I just watched. I'm not 100% convinced that I uh, think the episode is good. I think it needed a good half an hour more to make it decent. Um, but it was an interesting concept. It's just um, Star Trek up a bit. The silly little B story about, oh, nothing works when O'Brien's away. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But, you know. It's it to be fair. It's one of the memorable episodes a little bit because I, I, I we watched it again and it had been years since I watched it the first time and I remember it, it. This is fairly memorable, but it doesn't do a lot to surprise you, really. No, I, I kind of know what you mean. Um, I, I think my review is going to be a little bit similar to yours. Um, Lindsay, anything more positive to say? No, I hate it. I think it's absolutely shocking. <laughs> I am. Um... Yeah, I can't, I, yeah, yeah, I did not enjoy this episode. I'm really sorry. Lindsay was almost speechless there. Almost. Yeah. Oh, well, I have a list of things I particularly dislike about it, but yeah, no, the general. Well, it didn't last long about the speechless bit there. <laughs> Suki, say something nice without what no, Okay. To do the again. No, the, yeah, okay. So the, the, the thing about this episode. The good thing about it is Carmel Meany and uh, Nick Tate, the the little banter between them pair, the the friend the friendship that was developed, that was a good thing. Um, but as you you guys have all said, the other two have said it's just it's not very interesting. I think it could have been a lot better. It should have been a lot better. Uh, I don't know some of the production problems behind whatever happened on the show. Uh, for this particular episode, and it might have been a lot better with if they'd have been able to go with what they originally planned. What about you? Andrew? Um, it's kind of like, yeah, it's a bit of a like take on a, a sort of old school crappy spy film, or like there's there's a little bit of like Goodfellas in there where he kind of gets dressed up like a wise guy. Um, it, it had loads of potential, and much like John said, I did remember the episode. Um. And a lot of other episodes kind of blend it to one, but like, yeah, it wasn't like it's not really Deep Space Nine at its finest, is it? It was like kind of meh. I think particularly because it's in season six, and by season six, I've, like the DS Nine fans will tell you that DS Nine is like the greatest Star Trek ever, particularly like in the latter half. And I'm like, this is not excellent Star Trek. It kind of felt like filler as well. It felt like a bit of a cheap episode. It was a cheapie, wasn't it? They haven't spent much on um, on anything, really. Well, presumably it was also put in to give some people a holiday because the B plot wasn't even a B plot. It was literally like a scene. 
one scene with a main cast and that was about it and that was it that was it for the whole seat the episode wasn't it the, the production problems with this i mean you had Bilby and O'Brien suddenly they become friends right quite quickly oh you would have expected them to over a certain amount of time to be able to become friends and that would have been the way this story would have unfolded but because it happened quite quickly over i don't know I don't know what the timeline was, but looks of it, only a few few days, and they're like best friends. And he just didn't gel with me, that thing. But the acting between the two of them was absolutely great. I mean, uh, and the scene at the end, where he does realise what's happened, uh, Bilby, the actor Nick Tate, knows uh, the way he portrayed it, really does bring out the anguish and the sorrow that he, he's got to give no, to his dude. No, no. Otherwise... I'm really sorry, like... I, I don't think the actor was bad, but the character was so poorly formed and so flawed that, but like none of that works. It like, it just doesn't like. And maybe John's right that like with an extra half hour to like build it out, you would have had some time. But this is a guy who is a member of the Orion Syndicate who happens to have a family he loves, who, as a member of a criminal organization, is going to get in trouble. Like I don't care. Like just because he loves his family, why should I care? You might not care, but the fact that uh, O'Brien does, because yeah, but he why sees... does O'Brien care? This is a guy who is reasonably high up in the Orion Syndicate, which is like... He's not reasonably high up. He's a lowly, well, lowly member. Well, That's why he's there being used the as... Spy? Pardon? Like, why does some lowly guy know about the Starfleet spy then? Like, the whole plot falls apart. I've got to say, like, considering the Orion Syndicate, they're still, like, kicking around when Discovery go into the future. Like, I'm not sure how, because they don't seem like the most sort of tightly organised crime outfit. I've got to be honest, like, they, they seem pretty low rent in this, so uh, I'm, I'm guessing some serious improvements in there, like, misdeeds must happen for them to survive so long, because really, like, they weren't sort of... They weren't selling themselves in glory of being like good at crime. They were like shit gangsters. They really were. My first comment is worst crime syndicate ever. Like they are so unsubtle. It's not true. And like even when they break in and like rob the bullion bank, they do it from the comms terminal in their favourite bar. Like the whole thing, just it's awful. <laughs> They're rubbish. That Ramus guy had some quite um, crap Steven Seagal vibes. I thought though. Like, I could really have seen him played by Steven Seagal in the movie. Like, I, I'd cast him, like, in a, in a heartbeat. Like, I, I think that would have worked really well. Well, and, like, in Family Man, so when um, Laurent Steven Seagal rocks up in the middle of the night and they go to meet him, like, Family Guy's like, oh, I've, I've had to, like, vouch for you. That's a huge thing. Like, I had to vouch for you. And I'm like, well, you brought him along. What did you think was going to happen? Like, I, oh... I just, ah, uh, I don't know. Like all of it was just awful. Like hate is is strong, so maybe I don't hate it. But I it just it's deeply disappointing and mostly uninteresting and generally just rubbish. It's essentially the plot of Donny uh, Donny Brasco, yeah. but packed into forty five minutes and not given the uh, the work that it could have been. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the characters, motivations, and things like that. If you consider that. It would only work if you had enough time to bed in the characters, which they didn't do. But, uh, yeah, the stuff about being a worse syndicate, I don't know, we didn't see any of it, so I don't know about that. The, well, this bit the, of the syndicate was pretty rubbishy anyway. 
the the thing the the production problems they had with this was the original actor who should have played uh, Bilby was uh, an actor called Charles Charles Hallahan, and he died a few days before filming started. And that actor was uh, a lot older, similar build, similar uh, to Colmini uh, in looks, but he was a lot older. So instead of having like a friendship, like it would have been a father son relationship. And that would that would have changed the dynamic, which is what the sort of thing that happens in Donnie Brasco, which is Johnny Depp and Al Pacino. They're two different generations. So I'm supposed to feel sorry for an old man who is part of a crime syndicate who is finally getting his comeuppance. Like, uh, yeah, maybe maybe over the course of a longer show, I would have bought into that. I think it's also worth mentioning that I am notoriously not good at enjoying bad guy movies. Like, I don't tend to. I watched the entirety of Sons of Anarchy and spent pretty much all of it being like, you're all awful and you all need to go to prison. But you still watch the Howl of Sons of Anarchy. Uh, and there were reasons for that. Oh, but they're people. I was like, yeah, they're people who are breaking the law. So moral, so moral, Lindsay. I think what kind of got me was like they're like oh like you know we're really sorry we've had to like bring you on this mission like O'Brien and stuff like that but I'm not entirely sure why like out of like the entirety of Starfleet they just plucked out some random engineer from Deep Space Nine and went yeah you're the guy for this job like I get like his in was fixing things but you're not telling me there isn't anybody else they could have who could like who was like used to this type of work rather than just like some random engineer from like a space station somewhere. Well, and, and and they didn't even give him a backstory because, like, all of his colleagues are like, yeah, but where is he? What's he doing? Like, they didn't say, he's going to a conference or he has been forcibly, like, uh, forcibly transferred onto another ship. Like, it, like, particularly given that they're like, oh, we have a mole in Starfleet. You need to give the people in Starfleet a reason for this person having van. Like, it just, oh. And that's before we get to Starfleet, who control the weather on Ryza oh. and... The weatherman on Ryza knowing all of their super secret undercover spies. That did feel like like the worst reveal ever. It's like, oh, who's it going to be? Who's going to be like the mole in Starfleet? It's going to be somebody. And it's like, it's just, he didn't even have a name. He was just some dude who does the weather. And it's like, okay. Like, I, I think that probably could have been, it would have been more interesting if it was like some kind of reveal, like at least someone who's like name you did. Or like, his handler at one point I was like oh is his handler gonna be yeah spy? like that would have at least been believable and vaguely interesting and would have explained why they'd put somebody who wasn't really suitable for this job into that job like yeah I don't know oh uh, they, they, they did explain why uh O'Brien was actually there because Starfleet has been infiltrated the Starfleet intelligence has been infiltrated so all their people are already being compromised they've already been whoever they sent will straight away be identified because whoever this mole is. So they needed to bring somebody within Starfleet, but away from why they picked our Brian. But I there don't was nobody know. in the rest of the Starfleet security services. Yeah. You could have like. Yeah. I, that could have, I mean. Chime in because his underwhelmed face is like, it, I'm, I'm sorry. I think he's frozen myself. <laughs> I think he's frozen. No, what would you like me to chime in with? My lack of bother about this episode? Because I've got loads <laughs> of that. Are there any positives? Is there anything anybody well, likes? 
see, this this it, is the, one of the most surprising things. Is John and Lindsay seem to be on the same sort of. Uh, no, uh, I'm not. I'm massively, dis- massively disagreeing with a lot of what he's saying, but I'm just not bothering to uh, engage at this point. Go on, John. Go on. Tell us what you think. No, I'm fine. I'm, I think it was nice that they tried to do something a bit different with the Star Trek episode. That's all it was. It was a neat little bottle episode that probably cost them Tuppence Hapey to make. And that's what it is. I don't think you can... Uh, the, the flaws with why they're choosing O'Brien and all that sort of thing... It's because it had to be a member of the fucking DS9 crew, otherwise it was stupid. He just seems like a random pick, though. Like, uh, I don't know if they just, like, thought, oh, we'll just give him an episode. Like... So, so here is a thing that... So it's been a long time since I watched DS9 all the way through, and obviously this is a big jump from where we were last, and like I say, it's in what I think a lot of people would argue is like the core of DS9 being excellent. And it just reminded me of the fact that DS9 did quite a lot of not quite one-handers, but they did quite a lot of kind of character-centric episodes. And O'Brien was one of the characters who got quite a lot of focus. That's not a bad thing, but I think particularly when there was so little B-plot and so little of the rest of the crew, and what we did get of the rest of the crew made literally no sense, because this idea that your chief engineer leaves and literally everything breaks and nobody can fix it and it's the end of the world. Like... Just oh, what was that? And then at the end, you got Julian doing a bit like chivying up of his friend, but I didn't understand why O'Brien was so upset. So I didn't. Oh, I don't know. The whole thing was just oh. so you. You don't. You're not seeing the relationship between Bilby and O'Brien, right? I mean that that's where that's why O'Brien is so upset. He has got to like this guy. Yeah, I mean he might be. A gangster, you say, but O'Brien has started to like this guy so much that he's betraying Starfleet's trust by trying to rescue him. But that's what I don't see. Like I don't, I don't, I don't see anywhere in this. I don't see any evidence of why that's the case. Like at no point, and and maybe it's got to do with the last minute casting. Maybe it's got to do with like the script revisions that were made to reflect that. But. The character was just like I I don't know like I just oh meth meth. I think one of the things that Star Trek has sort of historically done quite well I, I think it's done like like really like strong friendships between male characters um and I think like but I think even here like that that sort of relationship between Julian and Miles like it almost like overtips it being slightly creepy like and I know Julian does have like a, a propensity to be a little bit creepy around people he likes but it just felt a bit like oh where is he where is he where is he and then like what I found extra weird was that he came back to Deep Space Nine didn't even bother getting changed and like the first thing he did was went to like offload to like and it's like I feel like the lines are being blurred a little bit here. Like, I don't know why. Uh, I, I just thought, like, even that, I felt like they laid it on too thick. It was like, that's really weird. It's just probably one of them little scenes that they filmed right at the end of the day where, the, where they didn't even have to bother to change uh, Colmini's costume and say, look, just go and do this with the cat and uh, Alexander Siddick and just go and do this little scene together. That's well, and it's, it's why Keiko is understandably irritated through quite a lot of DS9, because, you know, back from deep space where I gave your name is my fake girlfriend's name, because my uh, my imagination is that poor and I am that bad a fake spy. Um, 
but yeah, I'm going to go and I have a chat with a, a BFF before I see you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was his wife? The thing was as well, don't, does Kiko, Keiko, him and his wife, do they always argue? Are they always arguing? Her portrayal is not fantastic. The writing is pretty grim. But the other side of that is that he is quite bad for like arriving back and going and like having a chat with Julian because they either didn't want to to pay for her or they needed to like have some bro time. I don't know. Um. So yeah, she does. She does get a bit haranguing. I think she 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 nitpicks at him. So I think. Yeah. So that scene with the 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 girl. Right. Um, what can he he just if he's having such a hard time at home? Because right. it's Star Trek and married men don't have affairs. If you're not married, you can sleep with all the women of all the species. However, right. Okay. Just I just thought I'd check it out. Just thought I'd uh, you know put the question out there just in case. Does anyone have any more scorn to pour on this episode? Come on, Lindsay, I can see you like, I can see the temptation there in your eyes. Like, there's, the, there's definitely like more to come here. Uh, yes, yes, I have um, a lot of, oh, one positive, I have actually found a positive in my notes. Um, I think Quark's outfit is A+. I really like Quark's outfit in this episode. You don't see a lot of it, but it's there. There is no structure on DSI, and this gets me every time. Like, I don't really understand how they operate. It makes me really grumpy. The matte paintings, which are beautiful, because the matte paintings are always beautiful, but like I didn't buy the matte paintings to the interiors. Like there did, it didn't feel like there was any connection. So we'd see like a beautiful matte painting, and then we'd go to this random interior, and I, I feel like usually they do a better job of tying those in. Like I don't know if they usually manage like a colorway or like a lighting change or something. I felt like that the sort of the planet had that kind of like. Blade Runner but lower end, like extra, extra shit Middlesbrough look to it. Like it was like, yeah, this is <laughs> gangsters, um, which wasn't like sort of typical, I don't think, of, of the type of, of kind of landscapes we get. But I do kind of know what you mean. Yeah. Um, New Sydney, I was like, that irritates me as well because, like, New Sydney, is there only one New Sydney in the entire galaxy? Like, like, is New Sydney a planet? Is New Sydney... A, I, I don't know. That I was just like, ugh, what is this? I have literally written tortured soul criminal, yawn. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. If he's a low-level guy, why does he know about the Starfleet leak? But he, he doesn't know exactly who it is. He just knows that it's whoever this person is. Right. But if it's his you know, boss it, that's found him, why does he know at all? Like, either the Orion Syndicate are really that bad. If you if you if you, if you base this on gangster stuff, right, you'll become part of a family. As I say, you'll become part of their family, and once you're put in that family, you sort of trusted with information, whether it's important or not, right? And that's probably what the Orion Syndicate is. That's why that um, Volta, uh, because everybody's supposed to be vouched for. He then just tells everybody what the plans are for when they kill the Klingon or how they're going to kill, kill, kill the Klingon and what the result will be from the death of that Klingon. So because he apparently trusts everybody in there. So it, Bilby probably has been able to get this information because he is trusted by Ramus. I, 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 I have written in brackets, have I just not watched enough gangster movies? I think if you'd watched more, you'd probably think it was even shitter, to be truthful. So maybe, maybe. 
<laughs> I've also written, this is either going to be epic, like Counterpoint, or just not. And it turned out, it just wasn't, like, I kept waiting for that double cross. So, like, oh, actually, Bill Bear, whatever his name is, did in fact know that he was a spy and there was, like, going to be, like, a double cross thing. Or or it turned out that um, O'Brien's handler was the the leak. Or I just kept waiting for something to happen and it just didn't. It all felt very vague, didn't it? Like, you know, like, oh, we've got these guns and they were going to go in. And it was almost like they cut it off before they, like, went in to kill this Klingon because then they didn't have to put someone in Klingon makeup. And it it, it felt like there's potential there, but they just kind of, it, it felt clipped off. And I, I think that extra 30 minutes um, might have saved it. Yeah, and, and as John says, like, I, I do think, like, in theory, this is not an awful episode. Like, the idea that O'Brien is sent off to infiltrate this, the Orion Syndicate is not fundamentally a bad plot. Like, you could have done that well. But it does feel like maybe they had run out of money and they were like, we need to, like, shrink this down and make it smaller. Like, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think it's all, like... And like I say, hate is a strong word. I don't hate it. I'm just deeply uninterested in it. I don't think it's a great episode. I would probably skip it the next time it came up. I don't think it'll ever come back up again. <laughs> no, no, but I meant like if I if I even when I do a DS9 rewatch, I'd be like, oh, it's that one, and I would just not watch it. Cause there's nothing of joy there. There's gotta be a worse episode than Deep Space. I feel like this is getting really hammered, but there's gotta be worse. Well, the one everybody talks about is Alan Moraine or whatever it's called. Oh, that's horrid. That's far worse than this. That's like cringy, like, that's the kind of thing, like, when I watch Star Trek on my own, I'm like watching like Best of Both Worlds or something like that. When someone else comes in the room, it's always an episode like that where you're like, yeah, like this really isn't selling this show that I like big up to everybody. Like, that's the kind of crap that people like see. Yeah, that's that's worse. That's way worse. You see, I would watch that again because I know that there's like there's like characters and stuff in it. Like this, there is literally nothing there. Go ahead, Suki. So I was just going to think. I'm just thinking. So somebody walks into your room. You what you do? You just turn over to something else straight away when there's you're watching that episode. Switch the porn on or something like that. It'd be less embarrassing to be honest like you know i talk about I'll the and all this like tense drama and action and it's like something absolutely ridiculous or it's like quark's mother like with no clothes on or it, it's some kind of like hideousness that like really like makes like star trek look like what they think star trek is going to look like it's never something good to be fair that the the episode with quark's mother in no clothes and when quark's in drag is really quite bad that might be worse it's amusing but for all the wrong reasons but there is definitely worse deep space nine than what we've just watched i think it's a middle of the road episode uh just a middle of the road episode that i think is elevated by the performances of the two main characters in this episode but the it's just not interesting for (coughs) most people is it a middle of the road episode though when most of the cast aren't in it and there's no real moral. Like, what is the moral? You you get you get Star Trek episodes where it's only one character in there anyway. Are they all middle of the row characters or crap stories? But, but, but it's pretty rare to get something where the B plot is that absent. 
Like unless it is a very a... specific episode, and then it's it's either like the inner light, or it's this. You'll get some episodes where the B plot isn't even doesn't even exist, and it's still only one character from the actual show that is actually doing the whole plot. I mean, uh, what's the one where he's stuck on a planet with um, the the creature by himself, and then they can't communicate? Oh, Darmok. That's just yeah, Darmok. Yeah, but that's Patrick Stewart being remarkable for an episode. <laughs> no, I think, and there's a sci, there's like a high concept sci-fi, or there's a high level sci-fi concept at play there, whereas this is just gangsters. A rip off of a gangster. Yeah, and, and, like there gangster. are there are absolutely other Star Trek episodes where this happens, and it's awful. Like, um, oh, there's a an episode of Voyager where uh, it's all about Janeway's relation from the like turn of the millennium and it is awful and grim and 90% of the episode is set in 1999 with Kate Mulgrew playing her ancestor that is not good Star Trek that's <laughs> so I was just going to say that's 40 minutes nearly 40 minutes into where, what we're recording and that's the first mention of Voyager we've had well done Lindsay oh, I'm pretty sure you're I'm impressed with that well done I did mention Counterpoint earlier as well. So I've mentioned Prodigy and an episode of Voyager. It's just the first time I might have uttered oh, the word Voyager. Oh, dear. Sorry. <laughs> I am really surprised that Lindsay hasn't picked up on and savaged the line, oh, don't tell me you don't like girls. Um, I thought <laughs> that was like, that really dated this episode for me. It's like, I can't really imagine that line being delivered like that anymore. I did clock it and... It went very much in my this is 90s Star Trek bag. Because, yeah, genuinely, my thought was that's not how that would be. That's not how that would happen now. There would be a conversation of, oh, I'm really sorry. I should have offered you a selection of. No. You know, I think I think you're a sheep. No, I'm not going to comment. <laughs> oh, John, please do. No. I'm trying to cause some antagonism here. Come on, like, help us out a bit, John. <laughs> If I promise not to like jump down your throat while you comment, uh, Bob films. There's a certain type of person, and, it, and that's what they are, and they're bigoted and all that sorts of things, and that's why, not because it's because I don't think you get very enlightened gangsters these days. So I know, but I mean, it's just one of these instances where. Yeah, you're watching it with your own morality and not considering what the, the character's morality is. I don't think they would put that in the show now, though. I know exactly what you're saying about that, like, mob character, but I honestly don't think they would include that in the in the show now. I, I think it would just... I don't think that would get through that editing process and be like, no, we can't say that. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because... And I don't I know the saying that... Gangsters in the future would have the same morality as gangsters now, or gangsters from whenever it is that most of the gangster films are set in the forties and fifties. It uh, wouldn't change, but yeah, I take your point that I, I, yeah, I, I didn't even write it down this time. I've kind of, I might have given up on that point. We'll see. <laughs> I'm just trying to push it, to be honest, because it's like we all hate the episode, so I'm just trying to like create some antagonism. And um, has anyone got anything else on this episode? Because I feel like we're, we're exhausting ourselves. The constant lightning flashes that really did my head in, and that's another. I know it's another gripe, but you there was there was certain scenes where they the lightning was uh, not the lightning, yeah the lightning was just actually just hitting the face of 
characters and it was just like flashing on and off if anybody would it just did my head in so much flipping lightning flashes thunder claps in the background it's just too much are you sure your telly's not broken sucky because i didn't even notice that I, I was going to say, I remember there's absolutely a, nothing of that. There's a scene where Colm, uh, O'Brien and, uh, what's his name, Fliff, of the both uh, talking to each other just after the, the disruptor guns are turned up. And there's a lightning just hitting the guy's face. The light is just flashing on and on on the guy's face. And he just, I was thinking, this is too much. And then later on, it's just hitting, you see it in the background, going on and off. I just thought it was a bit terrible. It's that well, cheap atmospheric I'll, effect in it, like the mist in the alleyway, which I thought was like very much like. <laughs> well, the whole of the alleyway was a bit dodgy. I'm like, so we're in the 24th century, and the best way for us to pass on super secret information is for you to step out the back of the pub and have a chat with some guy who looks really shady. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think. Yeah. I, what I'm what I'm quite interested in, and I think you're right, Suki, when we talk about like the one-handers when like characters do get their own episodes. Some of the stuff that we've said about Discovery is that we'd really love for there to be more of that. And I think maybe what we're seeing is that, as with all things, that could be done well, or it could be done not so well. Um, yeah, I would need to like tally up here are the list of all like the one-hander episodes and how many of them actually are great or even okay, and how many of them I think are like episodes I wouldn't watch because I'm not particularly fond of that character and I don't think they add anything. I think that's quite interesting. So if are you fond of O'Brien as a character or do you think he was just not so well for this character this role? I don't mind him. Uh, for this episode. Like I'm not particularly fond of him, but I don't I don't mind him. I just and I don't think that there's anybody else in the DS9 class that would have necessarily made sense. And I totally take John's point that it has to be somebody from DS9 because that's the point of the show. <laughs> and I think particularly because half the DS9 cast are not in fact Starfleet, there's a limited pool that they could have chosen to use. Dax could have fitted into this. I'm trying to think she'd have had the background to be able to do this sort of infiltration stuff. But I don't think any of the others would have. Claw uh, Wolf would have stuck, stuck out by a mile. But nobody else, I don't think, would have been out unless um, Odo could shape shift into somebody. Yeah, but again, he's in... he's not Starfleet, is he? So that all gets a bit messy. And I also think, like, I'm watching this like it's been a long time since I watched DS9 season six, and like at one point I did write down what is the context here. Like, I feel like I wasn't sure whether we'd had some build up to O'Brien being pulled into this mission, or you know, have we just had three really he heavy Dax episodes? We maybe have. I don't think there's any context. I, th I think it was just like a, a complete one-off episode. I don't think that there was no sort of lead into this. Yeah, and maybe we should give them credit Wasn't for having the, tried something different as opposed to just giving us a mill, of the, a run-of-the-mill kind of like, oh, meh. But wasn't the Volta uh, that appeared in this episode, in the previous episode, The Last Ship, right? And then this also, this also uh, puts into the, uh, the universe, DS9 universe, that the Vorta and... Uh, the Orion Syndicate, Dominion and the Orion Syndicate are now like uh, in tandem together, working together to be able to bring the Federation down. Yeah, and maybe that's the point of this episode. Maybe like the writer was sent away with, we need an episode about the Orion Syndicate because we need to discover the 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 um, the Dominion are working with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like that may well have been 
what the point of this episode was. Like that might have been the writer's notes. Like go away and do something low budget that does this thing for us. Yes, like, I don't think there's much more positive to come from this episode. I, f- I feel like we've exhausted ourselves um, looking for jolly things. How many lights you see? Oh, four lights. I asked how many lights you see. Um, so let's do our lights out of five. I'm not optimistic that the room's going to be very illuminated, but um, let's start with John. Two. Two. Is that a generous? That sounds like a generous two, to be honest. I was I was expecting less. I mean, I would have got less, but people have been saying some things that I just need to respond to with an extra half a mark. Um, Sucky, what's <laughs> your lights out of five? For the two actors that uh, played the two main characters in this in this episode, uh, other than that, it's not really been a great episode. I mean, that seems to be what everybody else has been saying. So I'm just going to be two lights out of five. Lindsay, yeah, I'm going to give it one and a half. Uh, that's a half mark more than I thought I was going to give it. Um, because yeah, it's not offensive in any way. It's just uninteresting. I think it's not. It's not fabulous. I think I'm pretty much at two. I was tempted to give an extra half a mark just for the performance of Chester the Cat, who I did think elevated the episode. But um, but no, I'm going to stick at two lights out of five. I think this might be one of our lowest rated episodes. Mm, it probably is. What happened to Chester the Cat? Does he appear again? Yeah, he's at the end. He, he's like living with he's living with O'Brien, isn't he? He's like took Chester with him. Yeah, but does no, he appear in future episodes? Future episodes. I don't know. I don't think he do. Do you? I, I don't remember seeing the cat anymore. Cool, probably it. <laughs> 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 See, so that's our homework: is to find out the fate of Chester the cat in Deep Space Nine. But I think I think we've we've dragged this out as much as we can. So let's uh, let's see what you lot think of the episode, um, and hope you're a bit less scared than us. Okay, so let's see what our listeners thought of the episode. Um, Suki, who have you got? We've got Cliff Ackliff, and he's put um, O'Brien, the background character on TNG that has a had a had a bloody good agent, end up a main character on DS9. This episode is old school spy undercover story, which could easily be set with Bogart and Laurie. The fact that it's written in this in this way makes a nice one up, and again, O'Brien does a great job. But the way it looks is shoddy. There is a miss constantly. The sets are borrowed from Doctor Who. That makes you think this filler episode was one to save the money for future episodes. Sadly, DS9 hasn't had TNG remastering, so on 48-inch TV, it looks poor. It does, actually. I watched that on TNG. That's my little uh, bit. All in all, story has been done before in many genres, but it's a platform that helped build Colmini's career. Glad he's got his own episode. Sadly, not a strong Trek one. Three and a half light Fandangos. Cheers, Cliff. Cheers, Cliff. Uh, Lindsay. So I've got David Kitchen. Uh, the best of what DS9 offers in that it creates wonderful characters and a world we can believe in with some ambiguous morality that other Treks of this era just couldn't do. 
It also has the weaker aspect of DS9 in that by season six, standalone episodes like this really are swamped by the ongoing arc, which is a shame as it's really good. Played dead straight and with enough twists to keep things working. I'm not sure Brian made the right call, but that's the point, isn't it? It gets us thinking and questioning. The B-plot is cute, but the idea that Frontline Station after six years just falls apart when one man is away is really terrible and just doesn't work in an otherwise dead serious episode. 3.75 likes for me. I feel like we've watched the wrong episode or something. Mm. Um, right, I'm going to have a look at Jack McMorrow. So, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Honour Amongst Thieves. The title makes my autocorrect cry. I've been very ill the last week and it's a well-known fact that Star Trek is the best cure. So DS9 Season 6, I have basically mainlined the last week. No wonder the TTO randomizer keeps picking Deep Space Nine. Very few episodes are utter crap. Please don't pick Move Along Home. That's the one. That's the one we were talking about. It is. Anyway, at first, I thought this this will be yet another episode about Chief O'Brien having been through some shit. The story itself is strong, the acting too. The sets, on the other hand, haven't aged well as they are... Ex- they are used extensively, but look quite cheap, particularly on Netflix. There is perhaps no greater example of how Berman and Braga were so cheap that they can squeeze any coin until the Queen farts. The Orion Syndicate are not frequently the subject of the episode at all, but when they are, you get good results. I'm not calling for more, but with how the purse strings seem looser in the Kurtzman area, it might do well as an episode of Strange New Worlds. Judging by this episode, they tend to employ overly trusting people. Finally, I did love, to an extreme extent, that it makes clear that when the chief is gone, important things on Starfleet's most important station go to shit. A lesson in don't let ranks fool you. Overall, 3.75, making the bank of Borius have better security. Basically, as good as Ralph Fiennes' performance as them in No Time to Die. So, another positive one. I honestly think we've watched the wrong episode. Uh, John, you've got our uh, dead, I believe. Yep, Deb says, I really need to watch DS9 again. I do love it, but I haven't watched more than the odd episode for many years. Bad Trekkie. However, this didn't inspire me. I do love O'Brien, but this episode doesn't show the best of him or the series. I know this is a long-standing issue, but money isn't supposed to exist in Trek time due to replicators making stuff. So what are the syndicate stealing stuff for? More replicators? Although in Discord they said that relocated food was made out of shit, so maybe there's a black market for a cheeky Nando's. Was O'Brien's absence to carry out this secret mission also responsible for the breakdowns on Channel 4 and Facebook over the last couple of weeks? Uh, what a tweet and predictable plot this episode. In five minutes we had multiple cliches to tell us Bilby is quite nice really. He has a cat, he loves his family, he regrets his life's choices and he risks his life by vouching for O'Brien. And whoever briefed the chief on being a secret agent clearly forgot to explain the word secret. He's come a long way from TNG when his life's mission was to press the button Mac transport, but he's not James Bond. I will score two lights out of five because the cat was cute and I do like O'Brien. Bet you've missed my long comments, Deb. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, Deb. Cheers, Deb. Thank you to all of you for your comments. Keep them coming. We'd like to know what you think. Um, that brings us to our favourite part of the show, uh, where we select a red shirt. I woke up this morning Sucky, I'm going to come to you first. I'm trying to think who who we could have, but John's been very, very quiet. He just did not like this episode, by the looks of it. And I'm I'm not sure why I'm going to pick him, 
but I'm gonna it's gonna be the safest bet out of all four of us. So John. Okay, fuck you, Suki. John, I'm gonna to come to you next. I'm gonna pick Suki because he's picked me. <laughs> <laughs> the mature choice as always. Um Lindsay? I'm going to pick Andrea for uh, reminding us that she is going to be spending quality time with items of clothing worn by Mr. Isaacs. Um, yes, that's pretty much it. Jealousy. I am willing to offer like like 10 quid a sniff or something to be the money I've spent. So if anyone would be interested, please get in touch um, via Twitter or Facebook. Um, I'm what sure. Hold it's a sure. <laughs> a hole in your basement. Crew for being, being, being £10 a day, won't they? Well, I've got, to, I've got to get the money back somehow. Bloody fortune. Who shall I victimise? Do you know what? I'm going to pick Sucky because I always rely on Sucky to be Mr. Positive and he's been just as miserable about this episode as the rest of us. So like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm holding him accountable for that. But I believe... Sucky? I was just going to say, I was going to be Mr. Positive at the beginning, but then everybody was such on a downer on this episode. I think it just brought me down. So that's why it went down from, I think I was going to actually, thinking about it, I've actually got it written down here, actually. Yeah, I was going to give three out of five. And it went down to uh, an extra point because of all the negativity from the rest of you guys. That does, however, mean that Sucky is red shirt of the week. So I think we need to decide how his, uh, how his fate's going to be sealed. Yes, has spent the rest Surely of his life with Keiko. <laughs> How do you know I ain't already got more version of her? Don't say that. Oh, no, I don't mean that. We might want to edit I, I, that I out. You should, yes, I will edit that out. That will not be going through. <laughs> I think you should have to go undercover with zero preparation. Um, and yeah, we're just going to abandon you. There'll be no cover story. Your work won't know where you are. You'll just have to go undercover and then you'll probably get killed. I think okay, he's going to have to be acted to death by the Steven Seagal type Remus character. <laughs> that's going to be the death. Or maybe he could be the Klingon bodyguard that has to like, throw himself in front of the phaser. Yeah, in fact, yeah, I can do that. No problem. Death secured. So next time on Trek This Out, John, open up and fire up the randomizer. What have we got to watch? Uh, TNG 3.1 Evolution. Season 3, Episode 1, Evolution. Season Is that the one where they become like weird cats and dogs and stuff? I think I remember that episode. I'm pretty sure this happens every time, is that we get a name and I'm like, oh, is it this episode? And it's usually not. Um, but I'm excited to be out of DS9 for a little while. Okay, I'll bang a trailer in there. <laughs> Next time on Star Trek, the next generation. Controls are not responding, sir. Something evil is threatening the Enterprise. Nitrogen oxide, toxic levels. Lives are in danger. Face ah! straight into the path of that stellar matter. Disaster is dead ahead. Prepare for impact. On Star Trek, the next generation. So 
next time, join us when we'll be discussing the next generation episode, Evolution. Start of season three. Um, get it watched. Get your thoughts to us. Um, and we'll be back soon with more. And then our episode after that is going to be Discovery. Um, back back to air. Um, new episodes. Um, brand new Star Trek. So you know what's coming up on the show. Um, but that's all from me. Goodbye. That's all from Suki. Bye. And all from Lindsay. Bye. And all from John. I've seen what you've done here. Yeah, <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> Can I change my red shirt thing? <laughs> <laughs>
that don't explain anything. Uh, an obsessed scientist arrives in the Enterprise to perform a once-in-a-lifetime experiment accidentally releases nanites. Is that the start of when TNG starts getting good, season three onwards? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Cool. I think like, from season three, I think there's definite spike in, in quality. Does it? Does Riker have a beard? Oh, Riker has a beard by season three. That's like the half beard, the battle. It's the game changer. Yeah. Beard appears in two, doesn't he? Does it? Maybe. Yeah, he was only the first season. He was without a beard. Sure, it was. Oh well. I'm not seeing any pictures of people who are being hyper evolved, so maybe I'm mistaking that for something else. But uh, we shall find out, no doubt. It'll be very exciting. Cool. We need, we need to close the episode, I think, don't we? I need to. Yeah. Um... <laughs>